Hello and welcome to the latest episode of the Gig Stories podcast with me, Alex, and him, my Scottish beautiful friend, Chris Payne. And um, it's hard to not start this episode without mentioning the loss this week of Taylor Hawkins. It's interesting to me how I have been affected by other people's deaths over the years. You know, this whole conversation about um, not celebrity, I don't like that, but musicians, sports people, some people uh, are affected uh, by those kind of deaths. Um, and obviously death is is inevitable and, and is, is also very sad anyway, but this one this one really sort of uh upset me um and uh i felt this one because uh i've been a big fan of the foo fighters from the off you know and and taylor hawkins absolutely was all those things that people have been saying are absolutely true there's no one lying or trying to make make him sound better he absolutely was one of the greats and I was so lucky to have seen the Foo Fighters live so many times and he was just incredible and I'm glad that my my personal last memory of seeing them live was with my uh, with my family and friends at Glastonbury and being able to see Taylor do his David Bowie bit where he he comes down to the mic and Mr Grohl sits behind the drums and so just seeing that was just a, a wonderful thing so yeah, it was it was it was uh, it was really uh, really sad and and can't help but think of his his wife and his his children. Did you ever did you ever get to see the Foo Fighters, Chris? I did, but I saw them early early doors. Um, so I, I certainly haven't seen them in the last twenty years. But I saw them okay. at, I saw them at Tea in the Park in it must have been ninety seven ninety eight. I mean you know early early so you saw because taylor joined them after the recording i believe of the color the shape didn't he so you saw you saw taylor playing with them i think so i think so but i was looking looking back and realized that i did see him playing at tea in the park but not with the food fight the food fighters the food fighters that's a different the food fighters yeah did you see him with alanis morissette yeah 96 no way yeah. So, I mean, I was never a massive Alanis Morissette fan, but obviously at a festival, you've got an opportunity to see bands that you wouldn't normally pay over yeah. your hard-earned readies for. Um, so I thought, and they were great. They were great. And obviously at that time, you know, he was playing, but I didn't really notice it because, you know, no. um, as I've discussed before, um, and certainly in, in terms of the photography drumming project that I've done, nobody looks yeah. at the drummer or they tend not to, unless they are a drummer, a drummer themselves. Um, so yeah, the, I, I don't particularly remember Taylor Hawkins playing drums for Alanis Morissette in 1996, but turns out I did see him before he joined the Foo Fighters. Well, that, that I think the Foo Fighters was what really um, allowed Taylor to become more of a focal point. Because I think when you, when, when you're a band, created around an artist like like Alanis Morissette you sort of you're all in it together and you're you're the band behind well the, the yeah artist. absolutely I mean in in none of the tributes did they say his drumming on ironic was exceptional do you know what I mean 
it's not yeah. <laughs> it's not what he'll yeah. be remembered for um but. but that album actually from a drumming point of view is 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 just brilliant and and i've uh, i've looked at footage of him playing with alanis morissette and i know for us that were around when that album was released which wasn't it the same year as the Benz? was it 95 uh, yeah i think it was yeah yeah i i like that album and i know she released six or was it seven singles i think it was like some kind of record um pardon the pun um and he's great he sounds great with her but i've i've read so many things this past week anything that's come up um i've sort of given it a read in fact my old cbb's friend benka g uh, wrote a, a lovely article in fact we'll put a link on that because he's a huge foo fighters fan but also i've got the dave grohl book and so yeah. the quote about him meeting taylor hawkins and both of them knowing as soon as they met each other that they were going to be best friends and this was it mm. but what i really liked was alanis um after because i think there was a slight crossover and he had done something for dave while he was still with alanis and apparently alanis just went to taylor and said so what are you going to do when Dave inevitably asks you to join the Foo Fighters? <laughs> and she and she she just acknowledged that that is where you need to be, Taylor. That's your band, said, mate. Yeah, yeah. And she said, "You, you, <laughs> you know, I love you, thank you, but clearly you belong with Dave Grohl and the Foo Fighters." And yeah. you, you've got to that. My main my main focus of sort of sadness is obviously being for his family. And and selfishly, that I'll not see him, I'll not see him play live again. He really was wonderful, but also a, a thought for Dave Grohl, who just must be heartbroken. Bless him, you know. Mm. Well, so, we'll put some um, we'll put some videos on on the website for um, this episode, uh, and um, the, the yeah the video of him singing under pressure. It's great. It's just so, oh, so full of joy. I mean, it's not it it's not. I mean, I love that song. I'm not a massive Queen fan. Um, but, oh, me too, me too. Um, but I, I do love that song, and I don't think Brilliant. their version—I don't think their version is better than the original, even. But it's done with such joy and such kind of um, yeah, knowing that they they're doing it out of love, but they're also doing it out of fun. And the fact that um, Grohl gets behind the kit again, and yes. you know, there's 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 so much to like about the, the clip, and the fact that you know his voice is his voice is really um, it's a great rock voice, Taylor. It is, isn't it? It yeah. is. I mean, he he wasn't hitting the, the 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 notes, but he didn't try, and he you know, and that wasn't what it was about. It's about the spirit of the thing, and yeah. What, what, what I like is there's almost uh, another fantasy being played out. So as if life isn't amazing enough to be the drummer in the Foo Fighters, yeah. it's like in the back of Taylor Hawkins' mind, it's like, I'm a great drummer. I've got a great life. But if I really had the best voice, oh, man, I'd perhaps love to be a lead singer. Yeah. And so they're such good mates. Dave is like, come on, reenact this. And, yeah. you know do it and i know they did it in lots and lots of places but you know my experience was at glastonbury where your the crowd is as as, as big as uh, anywhere almost yeah and just for him to see that joy of him living out his really 
best life right it's yeah, just so, absolutely yeah and then um, it made me think of um when we chatted to andy day um way back at the start of oh, the podcast yeah. series and we were talking about glastonbury the fact that that andy at, at glastonbury he wants something extra he wants something a bit special he wants a surprise that was it <laughs> it sounded like it's his um, wish list for santa he said i want a surprise <laughs> <laughs> and and that was the Foo Fighters surprise that year you know it, yeah surprise and, and and it's been nice as well seeing um because there's an awful lot of live music around at the moment isn't there all venues are full pretty much uh because they've rescheduled shows and people getting out while they can and um it's been lovely seeing a lot of the tributes so um Sam Fender's drummer uh, uh Dino no, not Dino. He he had Taylor taped on his um on his base on his base skin. Um and then Royal Blood, whose tour looks phenomenal. The 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 visuals for it look absolutely incredible. And it's a massive screen. And it's the most wonderful picture of Ben the drummer with uh with Taylor. And and that is I love that. And yeah. then the one that I really liked. Because it's always nice to have an insight of these people and, and what they do and how they are. Because you, you do often wonder, like, I don't, I don't know if this is true, but, you know, something like Mick Jagger or something really big like that. Do they just get on a plane to a place, into a green room, onto the stage, back to the green room, on a plane, next one? And it was Idols. Um, and uh, they would posted, now I forget who, which one of them posted it. Um, but they were just chuffed to bits because it was, a, I think, a, a South American festival and idols were on in the afternoon. And they had a picture of Taylor who had just sneaked in on the side and just sat down on the floor. So the crowd couldn't see him and he just sat and watched idols. And they were just so chuffed because the Foo Fighters were, were headlining and they were so chuffed that Taylor had sort of turned up at one or two in the afternoon and had just sneaked on and sat down to you know to watch idols and i love stuff like that because we forget that you know these are music fans these people are music fans they love their music and so yeah. taylor would have been like oh man i've got to see this band idols yeah, are yeah. brilliant you know so yeah. um well you mentioned uh, royal blood you mentioned royal blood there and we we i know we we chatted about royal blood the other night because we were both going oh bit gutted because we realized that royal blood yes. was playing at the arena um was it tonight yeah, Mike. Um, Mike has uh, contracted COVID. How gutting is that? Um, but uh, but these things little, are popping up. Yeah, but was there a little bit of you that went? Yeah, you know, hope he's okay, but I'm a little bit relieved because it means that I can go yeah. to the scheduled one. <laughs> yeah, I'm totally yeah. there. Going right, I need to sort out some tickets. <laughs> yeah, I did. I said. Yeah. I said to Grace. I said to my daughter. I was like. She she told me she came and said oh, Mike's contracted COVID. It's kind of, I was like, well, that gives us time to try and sort some tickets. Yeah, no. <laughs> reschedule. That's it. Self self preservation kicks in there. Yeah, absolutely. That, I mean, that's another conversation. But you, you you keep seeing these artists. You know, the other night, uh, the Six Music Festival. Here's our Sieg into the Six Music Festival. That's been going on, and our 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 buddy and friend Chris Hawkins is uh, is down in Cardiff. Taking some amazing photos. He's taking some amazing photos on his on his phone. Get on his get on Chris Hawkins' Twitter. Yeah. 
Yeah, it looks like he's took a, taken them from a moving car. Yeah, no. And he's just embraced it and gone, come on, show me your shit photos. And it's yeah, really and, funny. And I was I was thinking about sending in some, some and then I thought, that's going to damage my brand, surely. If I'm Someone, someone's done that. Someone's done that. Um, a photographer. Um, she she replied the same. She went, I can't do that because that might damage my uh, profession. But here's oh, one really? from when I was 13 in my school hall watching East 17. <laughs> that's, that's the way to do it. That is the way to do it. But he was oh. at, so Chris Hawkins lived out, you know, pretty much my dream gig the other night, which was yeah. the Mannix at Club Ivor Bach. And they never got to play it. They can't, They were supposed to play club and they cancelled it to go and sign uh, their record deal. And it uh, just, I didn't it never got that. rounds. Ah, right, okay. Yeah. So have you heard the um, the cover? I have. If it, Just quickly, if you go to Hugh Stevens, maybe the Mannix as well, Twitter, um, they've posted the original posters of that Mannix gig because it was supposed to happen. It was literally like the day before or on the day they cancelled. Uh, <laughs> we can't. We, we're going to go and sign this record deal. Wow. So it's there in history. These posters, you know, uh, be worth a fortune. Oh, can you imagine? I know. And so they played it the other night, and um, it was it was a good it was a good set list actually because they played uh, like they played Methadone Pretty. I haven't played that for a long time, and they they played a couple of album tracks from Know Your Enemy, which I thought was absolutely brilliant rather than you know obvious singles and yes the cover chris <laughs> <laughs> well I, I i i've only heard that i know that they opened with motorcycle emptiness which is what what a song to start on yeah. do they normally start with that no no they don't uh, they, they yeah well they do you know what in the in the past years yes they they have done they've sort of swapped it but uh, right. It has become, it has become a bit of a um, a gig starter for them. Most okay, because I've, I've photographed them a couple of times. I, actually, one mm. one of them was it at the first? What, did, did the Mannix not play the first Six Music Festival? I think they did. Yeah, I think they. Yeah, yeah. I think they did. Well, I don't think they. I think they, they did. Yeah. Well, I can't remember them starting with motorcycle and tennis, but that yeah. It's a what? That's a long time ago, mate. No, tell me about it. Yeah, we're sixty um, years old now. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the, the, the cover was, was great. Again, in, in just with real joy, it's not as good as Madonna's Madonna's borderline. Yeah. Absolutely brilliant. Borderline. It's a great tune as well. And that's a very manic thing to do as well. Yeah. You know, they always uh, always love their their pop music. Uh, yeah. and the Six Music Festival seems to be going great. And there's um, you know, my girl Little Sims loving it. People are I've been just fawning over her because last night was just incredible in Cardiff. Mm. I mean, Chris Hawkins, he was he was watching Pixies, Idols, and he was then introducing Porridge. Yeah. Um, and that was all in the Great Hall in the university, which is where I went to most of my gigs. Yeah. And, um, and what a night that what a night that is. And then I say on the other side of town as though Cardiff's big. Couple of minutes walk down from there um, at St David's Hall was was Little Sims. And, yeah, um, well, you were, we were mentioning COVID weekend. though, and um, uh, someone who yes. must be gutted is Gweno. Yeah, yeah, she was supposed to be playing today, and she came on the other night and sang "Spectators of Suicide" with the Mannix, ah, and right. then 
so she yeah they actually brought her on and she sang with them and now she comes out and says i've got covid and can't play a gig today so i'm like god where will this end and now we're all the manics panicking and thinking we better all test this yeah well at least you got to play with them as part of it yeah Yeah, absolutely but But it's it's great and we're not here to push the bbc or anything but that you'd be daft to not get onto bbc sounds and listen if you haven't already to um to all the sets because you know little sims pixies uh the manics um my recommendation for this afternoon is uh car and james and there's just so much going on self-esteem um, playing self-esteem the, the big performance as i told chris hawkins is three o'clock this afternoon and it's uh the big derby cardiff city versus swansea at home <laughs> wow <laughs> and to chris i went stay in venues Stay in venues with the live music. Yeah. Avoid, avoid all football fans. <laughs> oh my god! Yeah, um, but we we went to a gig this week, didn't we? Yeah, absolutely. Now, I am very aware that I am always the dominant voice here. It's always me, gab, gab, gabbing. But I do consciously want to stop you from talking about that because, listener, I just want to big up my beautiful scottish friend here um and so we went to see shed seven the other night and if you're regular listeners you'll know that um we're 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 fans um but also friendly with the band and rick and the boys very very kindly arranged for my daughter grace who's 15 and she's doing a gcses now as we speak she's doing a photography gcse and they arranged for her to have a press pass. So she was in the photo pit and got to shoot Shed 7 and the lottery winners, the support band, and uh, the wonderful Chris Payne, him who sometimes gets an opportunity to speak on this podcast, <laughs> uh, went, went into the pit with Grace and was the, the mentor and her guide and helped her and took some sneaky photos of grace taking pics of the band which honestly just broke my heart and me, me and my wife just brought tears to our eyes seeing it and um so chris you are beautiful for doing that and i will always appreciate that and she had such oh, a no she had such a nice time she's a shy one gracie but yeah but she was she was measured i mean in um i mentioned on twitter last night it, i can remember the first gig that i ever shot and mm. I remember being so stressed about it. It wasn't actually in a pit. Um, it was just, it was in a busy venue. But I, I just remember I put pressure on myself to get yeah. the shots, even though I, I wasn't even sure how my camera worked. I wasn't even shooting on the right format. Um, but I, I remember putting pressure on myself, getting flustered, getting annoyed because I missed a shot that would have been great, but obviously yeah. it wouldn't have been great because I wasn't really taking good photos at the time. And, it, you know, it was you kind of get racked with self-doubt when you do this kind of thing. But I remember just, um, but Grace was was fantastic, really chilled. And she had, she had an issue with her memory card and she just took a breath and she knelt down and she sorted it out and I checked and made sure that she was okay with the memory card that she had. And yes, it was fine. And then she just got on with it. So um, yeah, and it's, it's great to get one of those out of the way. Um, and it was good because the, the, the pit wasn't too busy. I was telling her just before we, we went into the pit, 
about photographing, uh, I, I photographed Liam Gallagher just after the Manchester bomb and oh, the, the charity, the charity gig at the Ritz. And I thought, I, I need to photograph this because, you know, you, you're not going to get many opportunities to photograph Liam Gallagher in a venue as small as the Ritz. So no. I, I contacted the PR and managed to sort a photo pass really late on. And I was dead chuffed. And then I got there. Amazing. <laughs> I got there and there were 20 photographers. There were <gasps> there was a queue down the side. And what they had to do was split the photographers into two groups. And if you imagine right. the size of a, a, a photography pit, they split into two groups. And so the first group got the first two songs. And then the second group got the next two songs. So it was it was the first four songs that he was allowing no to be way. photographed. Yeah, but even 10, 10 photographers in the pit, it was ridiculous. And it was really sharpen your elbows, get the shot. And uh, oh, my God, no. <laughs> so much stress. Right. So so I felt like last night, uh, sorry, the, the other night when we went to Shed 7, the fact that there were only three, there was me and Grace and another photographer. And I think somebody from the tour um uh crew yes. came in came in later on uh and took a few uh but i felt there was so much space i felt like we could do cartwheels across the <laughs> across the pit there's so much space it was well great. well i i've i've tweeted some and we can uh, i'll put them on the uh, gig stories page as well and it's the pictures of uh, that chris took of grace taking the photos um I, I've not really sat and looked through the pictures uh, with Grace yet. She's not had time. She's been in school. And you know what? They could be rubbish and I don't I don't care. And she just wanted to get one out of the way and she's going to sit down and go through them. So if, if there's some that she's happy with me sharing, I'll absolutely share them. But have a look at those pictures because, A, it just breaks my heart and, and seeing that little 15-year-old girl there. And the band were totally amazing with her. I mean, they're, they're a good band to shoot anyway. Tom on bass, he's always posing in the most yeah. wonderful sort of, he just loves life, Tom, and he's a, a sweetheart. Yeah, there's a Nicky, there's a Nicky wireness to, to Tom. Yeah, yeah, there is, there is, without the jumps. Without That's the, the jumps, only thing yeah. he doesn't do is is the, the scissor kicks. Yeah. And then Rick Witter is the, the best front man in the to, to, to shoot because he, yeah. he gesticulates, he, he's all over the place. Uh, physically brilliant those hips don't lie again no they do not they... but those hips do not lie <laughs> and paul is very cool on on guitar uh and and has his stance there so it, it, it was just great and um before we move on they genuinely just sound better each 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 year and as you know my george said they're getting better all the time nice one george <laughs> Yeah. Um, and that's the first time we've seen them um, with Maxi and Tim playing with them. And um, yeah, they really, um, they really refreshed the sound because I don't want to say added or better because I, I don't want any, you know, I'm not saying any negatives about Joe and Anna. I love them both. Um, and they were and are fantastic. And Shed 7 was always brilliant. Um, but it was, it is what it is. And they are where they are now. And they just sounded incredible the other night mm, yeah uh, and it was it was great and it's always nice seeing the ages there it always blows my mind there's always a young person at the front it's like become a thing at a shed seven gig and the other night it was 
an 11 year old wasn't it a young 11 year old girl who was at the front barrier with her family and and rick sat and chatted to her and says hello and, yeah and then, just after the first song <laughs> yeah after the first song i'm like yeah. yeah you sit down and you know told her that if she had any questions about the 90s you can't remember the 90s so yeah well i i gave i gave grace a little nudge at that point because i don't i don't know if grace felt like she should only be photographing when they're when they're playing but i was like no yeah you need to get the you know get, get he sat down shots. go and shoot him yeah absolutely <laughs> absolutely so, so thank you for that chris it means it means oh, the world no to me oh, it was uh, it was lovely it was lovely um so we have an episode and this has really tickled me because this is <laughs> this is our first ever lost episode it's an episode which we recorded probably in about april 2021 would it be around about then it will have been oh, yeah a year a year yeah. ago yeah oh it's it yes. over a year ago um, oh no is it it's um it's a year ago. It's almost a year ago because I was working. Yeah, I, I remember speaking to him in a lunchtime when I had to tell him the news and it was lunchtime. I was working on Justin's house. Random. But yeah, yeah. and that is a that is a year ago. Yeah. So basically, when we record a podcast, we do we tend to do them over Zoom and with Zoom, uh, not to get all technical, but at the end of the Zoom recording, you get three files a file of me talking, a file of Alex talking, and a file of the guest talking. And then you... You are getting all technical, you, aren't you? Well, you mix it all up and you 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 edit and all that kind of stuff. But I uploaded the files and realised that my part of it was completely blank and I couldn't work out why and realised that there's no way, because some of, some of the questions that Martin was uh, answering, I had asked... And me re-asking them without him being there was going to sound really weird. So we just had to put it down to experience and say, that's gone. We just have to do the interview again. And then I found the files again the other week and realised I hadn't lost it. I don't know what had happened, but I found the missing file. I found myself. <laughs> um, He's found himself I found through myself. his Apple Mac. Yes, through my <laughs> Apple Mac. And so, anyway, I've edited it and we have the interview that we did with Martin Carr of the Boo Radleys and it's here for you now. How amazing is that, Alex? Absolutely brilliant. I'm going to say no more. Just, I'm going to shut up. Carry on listening to Martin. Welcome to the Gig Stories podcast with me, Alex, and him, Chris. Yes. Now, you may know today's guest as the guitarist and songwriter in the Boo Radleys. You may know him as Brave Captain, or you, let's be honest, you might just know him as, as, as Martin. It's Mr. Martin Carr! Hey. Hey. Just Just pretend there's loads of applause there, Martin. There's loads of people <laughs> cheering. There was a fan here before, but Chris got rid of him. <laughs> <laughs> How are you doing, lovely man? I'm all right, yeah. I've just got in from, uh, I took Sonny up to a skate park and sat in the van while he went and, I don't know what he does. No, no, you know, I don't know if he actually goes. <laughs> 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 
now. Now let's let's just clarify that Sonny is your son, and your was oh was he now twelve? Yes. And and so you're assuming that he skated. Is it skateboard or scooter? Skateboard, very much. Keeping it real. Yeah, uh, I was going to say it's coming back, but I don't think it's ever gone. But um, you just stopped doing it, I think, Alex. You just stopped doing it. Yeah, I think I did. I was always rubbish. I was always rubbish. Has that been a uh, a lockdown thing, Martin? As he sort of started taking that. Um, up? He started a few years ago and then kind of lost interest and went back to footy. But then lockdown, the first week he decided that he was going to get back into it and he's just not stopped since. He's getting really good now. Yeah. And so you've never been tempted to get out of the van and join him in the skate park? I I did it. um, I was 48. When he started, I bought myself one because I liked all the gear. And I really yes. like the clothes. And, but I stand on it and I just panic and I freeze. And it just, I feel like I'm miles away from the ground. <laughs> you like Michael J. Fox in the middle of that lake where the, the hoverboard isn't moving anymore. <laughs> and I uh, cracked three ribs down at the uh, skate park and then I, I uh, gave up then. Wow, that's a sign, isn't it? Yeah. Oh, you cracked your ribs. You actually came off and cracked yeah. your ribs. I landed on, you know, you've got this gloves with the, the sticky out bits on the wrists. Oh, oh yeah. The wrist, yeah. I landed on one on my chest. Oh. I, I couldn't breathe at all. And all I could hear was Sonny saying, is daddy going to die? Not <laughs> <laughs> really. <laughs> Knowing you, you probably went, quite possibly, son. Quite possibly. Yeah, I was. Couldn't breathe. What? So, so all in all, then, past few months have been really good for you. Then I can roll down a gentle hill, but that's that's it. Yeah, <laughs> I, can, I can do that, but without the skateboard. <laughs> yeah. yeah, without the skateboard, a grassy hill. Uh, well, we appreciate your time. Appreciate you chatting with us and chatting about music, because Chris and I are both missing. Uh, live gigs going to live gigs chris uh, as you know is a photographer and so you know he often is shooting at gigs are you missing missing live music martin no because i don't go to gigs um i stopped going uh well i stopped going to see bands probably in the early 90s i used to go to a lot of gigs but just to stand at the bar and drink um just and then I just got I, I had anxiety problems and I just it was just people I couldn't I couldn't be around that many people, but occasionally I would go, um, if it was something I really wanted to see. And what about after? Because let, let's be honest, you've you've even though you've had breaks here and there, you've you've often been performing. So obviously you had the boo rallies. There's, no, there's no people at my gig, so I don't have that trouble. <laughs> <laughs> well well i'm gonna f- flip that then are you missing performing live or have you been quite happy in in stuck in your studio i do like performing live um i tend to overcomplicate it i always start i say right i'm just going to go out with my acoustic guitar and that's it and then i think well i'll just get a loop pedal or something um and then I'll add a few more pedals, and then I think oh, I'll have to get someone to press a button here and there, and 
then it becomes a thing. Yeah. A huge thing that costs loads of money. <laughs> and uh, I lose. <laughs> and it, that is funny, actually, because as, as I've seen you sort of perform solo, um, there has always been different incarnations. You, you have had various setups. But is that... Is that just because, as you say, you get excited, your brain is all over the place in the planning, or is that how it keeps it fresh and exciting for you as a performer? Yeah, I, I think so. I've done um, I've done gigs with just uh, I've got like a, a Rhodes piano, and I used to take that out, and I did that, and I I did it just me and a drummer, and we were kind of hooked up with a couple of laptops. Uh, yeah, Mad Phil. Drummer, no, they were good gigs. Shout out to Mad Phil. <laughs> Shout out to Mad Phil. And I've done gigs with like big bands, you know, like seven offers. Um, just me on my own. I do like, I, I really like playing on my own, just acoustic. It, it just it helps me um, focus because all the noise when I'm, when we're playing as a band, I just get, especially if I've had a couple of drinks, <laughs> I just kind of get caught in the moment. <laughs> Listening to the Boo Radleys, uh, I, I, I was I've, I've had a day of Boo Radleys today, which has been lovely. Um, but um, just it, it's it's really apparent how much um, is added, not just to the band, but kind of you know reversing um, uh, vocals and lots of distortion. And do you think was it you who was pushing that kind of? Um, you know, elaboration on 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 the tunes um, in the studio. What do you think? Yeah, at first, yeah, we, we were kind of all into it, mm. and there was a lot, a lot of songs that we um, never played live because we couldn't, and a lot of songs that were never recorded. We just kind of built them. We didn't record them live. We never rehearsed. Yeah, because I just I couldn't really play guitar that well, and I I found rehearsing quite painful. There's no real payoff. Yeah. Um, so we would just, I would make a demo and send it to the others and they would add their bits and then we'd kind of go and piece it together in the studio. Mm. Um, and some stuff, you know, a lot of giant steps, I don't think we ever attempted to play. What, live? Sometimes we did. Sometimes we had, um, I think when we were playing quite big venues and we had a bit more money, we were... Um, adding a lot more effects and sample. I mean, Bob was triggering lots of samples off his drums. And I suppose you do need that increase in, in kind of bodies to get something like Lazarus to get, you know, it's, it's such an overwhelming sound, you know, when it comes in, the, the, you know, the real yeah. hook comes in, you kind of need a full stage for that. Oh, yeah, but I, I used to, I, I, I mean, most of the trumpets on that record are actually guitar. All right, okay. And uh, so we, sh I should have done that live, but I just thrashed away at the chords because I was so lazy. And so it'd be <laughs> one trumpet guy it and it would sound, you know, it'd be parping away in the background and it kind of lost its uh, majesty. You, I you've, you've always been a, um, in my eyes anyway, a reluctant pop genius, music genius. And you've put yourself down already, which is no surprise to me, seeing that you're a rubbish guitarist and that. But well, no, I was then. Right. Okay. But still, when you go back and listen to that music, there, there's 
there's a huge musicianship. And Chris, man, we've jumped straight in there with the big question. So I'm just going to point this out. Something that people have often beaten you with is um, the single Wake Up Boo. Mm-hmm. But I always, always said, if you sit down and listen to that as a piece of music, it is one of the most phenomenally arranged, complex bits of music I've ever heard. I, and it, it really is incredible. So who, in, in the bands then, who was behind that? Who had that sort of musical mind? What Was it an out-and-out collaboration or did that come from you? Because the arrangements... On, and specifically on that song, but as Chris has alluded to as well, you know, on Giant, well, the, a lot of the album on Giant Steps. So where where did that come from in the band? Uh, like Wake Up Boo, it was the way it was the way it was written, and, and I did the harmonies. Um, but anything that sounds performance-wise was Tim, the bass player. He's uh, very musical. And, um, you know, just run rings around me in that. My, I was more instinctive, yeah. um, whereas he knew his stuff. Okay, and that's interesting. He, uh, beautiful arrangements, brass arrangements and string arrangements on on different songs on albums. I don't know if you know, you know but I um, did a photography exhibition year before last, and it was a f- um, photographed portraits of drummers. And the first person I got in was Rob. And yeah. and he was great, and I did his as a kind of blue note, a, a, a nod to blue note album designs from the sixties. Um, and Rob, let me just point out for people that are not sure of names, oh, Rob yeah, is, is the drummer in in the Boo Radleys. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But then when we went into lockdown, I got in contact with some of the drummers who had been part of it, and he uh, and I got them to do these little kind of thirty second, minute long, kind of drum exercises or workshops or whatever. So that people, if they were playing on their kitchen table, they could have a little play around. And Rob did yeah. one of Wake Up Boo and just demonstrated mm. that whole Motown sound, which I hadn't really clicked when, you know, it feels like Wake Up Boo's always been there and you, you don't really <laughs> yeah. think about the ins and outs of it. But um, but yeah, just that that whole Motown influence um, uh, that, that he had. Yeah, I, I love that stuff. But that was, yeah. I, we did it. The demo didn't have those drums on it. They, it had this weird kind of skipping rhythm that nobody liked. And um, I was listening to, um, there was a jam compilation that had come out with um, demos on and B-sides and all that stuff. And there was the jam version of um, Solid Bond in Your Heart. Uh, it was a Star Council tune, but the jam version. And okay. it had those drums. And I thought, oh, that's that's it. That's what we need to be doing. Yeah, um, works perfectly. When we were in the studio, we were listening to to get to thinking thinking about the sound. We wanted it. When I hear "Wake Up Bill" on the radio, and it's not very often, I'm always surprised by how muscular it is. And we listened to uh, the start of "Rocks" by Primal Scream, which is not a record I like that much, but the drums sound amazing at the beginning. Yeah, they do. Don't they? Yeah, so we kind of work yeah. into them as our mood board that, that, that's not that's not a bad yeah, i think board. he mentioned the four tops as well mm-hmm. um i think he was mentioning the i think rob mentioned the four tops as a a bit of an influence certainly in, in how he approached it anyway yeah yeah well we've we, we've we've totally jumped there i i, I want to just take you uh 
back as we like to um, talk about sort of musical upbringings. Were you born and brought up in Liverpool? No, I was born in Scotland at the very top. Get in. It's called Thurso. Thurso. Yeah, I've got a boat from Thurso. Um, oh, yeah. I've never been. Well, I've been, obviously, but <laughs> I've never been back. <laughs> yeah. Okay. And then, and then where did you go? Uh, my folks are from Manchester and my dad um, was working at Dune Ray Power oh. Station. That's why we were there. And then we went to um, Shropshire for a year, okay. I think. And then we lived with my nan for a bit in Swinton in Manchester. And just around the corner from um, uh, Sean Ryder. Of course, yeah. Sean and, and Gaz, we've, we've spoken to Gaz on... Uh... He just around the corner from my auntie. I read his book, I couldn't believe it. Um, and then we ended up in, in on the Wirral. Right, okay, because... Um... Maybe that's me being lazy or not realizing. I thought I thought it was more of a uh, you grew up in more of a Liverpudlian uh, surrounding, but actually you moved all over the place. Because in my head, I was thinking, you know, Liverpool, it's it's such a musical city, isn't it? You know, you think of Liverpool, and I think of the docks, the football, and and the music. And I say music, so everyone just says the Beatles straight away, but it's it, it it's more than the Beatles as well, even. The, you know, even though they are just amazing. So I, I was wondering if you'd been surrounded, you know, or, or uh, by the music of Liverpool, but what was your musical upbringing? Were your mum and dad musical? Did they play instruments? Were they? Uh, my dad's completely tone deaf. <laughs> it's incredible listening to him sing. I, I, would, I would hear him, I grew up hearing him um, sing or <laughs> these words, and, and then I would hear... Years later, I would hear a song and think, oh, my God, is that what he was singing? <laughs> Excellent. Like a musical jigsaw that you've just found the, the, the box for. <laughs> yes. But he had the record player. He used to buy records. So uh, it was that. And um, I remember coming down at night and hiding behind the couch while he played his records. He used to play um, Every Picture Tells a Story that brought us to your album a lot which must have been a pretty new record around that time. I think this would have been like uh, early to mid seventies. And then I, I remember, and we used to watch Top of the Pops every week. And the first record I was ever obsessed with or ever really liked was, um, was a record called Billy Don't Be A Hero by a band yeah. called Paper Lace. Oh yeah. yes, Paper Lace. I love that record. And just, um, yeah, I just loved it. I just, um, and Queen as well, Bohemian Rhapsody, when that came out, that video, if you're a little kid watching that video, it's just so mysterious and, and kind of spooky. and Because there weren't really music videos before then, really, were there? No, I mean, I, I no, I suppose not. Um, Obviously, the Beatles had done a couple. Yeah. And the Stones, but not in the same way it was afterwards. Were you surrounded by the influences of, you know, the Liverpool music scene as a youngster? Were you, were you, were you aware of it? My dad wasn't a Beatles fan. He was a Stones and Dylan guy. Right, okay. But um, when we moved to the house where I grew up in properly, we didn't have a record player. I don't know what happened to it. So I used to get, I just listened to the radio, and I used to get all of his albums albums out and put them on the floor and his singles and just look at the covers um like uh, um elton john uh goodbye yellow brick road cover i loved mm, yeah. the rolling stones um ep five by five 
and I just couldn't get over the way they looked. I couldn't believe they were British. <laughs> At least two of them looked like Herman Munster. <laughs> <laughs> they were just so hideous looking, and I just I was intrigued. Um, and the other one was um, the Times They Are Changing, the black and white cover, Dylan cover. Mm. And I always thought that was a Manchester thing. I thought he was a mate of my dad's because he talks about him so much. Oh, really? Um, <laughs> Bob. <laughs> or, yeah, Bob or George Best. I thought he knew George Best as well. because. <laughs> Were you aware of them going to gigs? Did they go to concerts at all? No, they used to go to social club and there'd yeah. be uh, you know, a band on. Like a, um, they'd have a guest singer and there'd mm-hmm. be a band that would they'd be there every night. That was the first live music I saw, which I loved. I, oh, really? What well, um, were they like? Do you mean they were literally just local bands and it was covers and? No, no, it was a um, you know like a what would you call it like a social club band. So they would all have it'd be really smoky atmosphere just hanging from the ceiling and uh, you could just smell beer and fags and perfume but I loved it and just seeing the instant and, and these guys would have a bass and a little drummer with his brushes and not a little drummer a drummer with his brushes in a little pit you know and then people would get up and sing and uh how old would you have been then were you, were you allowed in there or were you sneaking in it was like uh, Christmas and stuff when you were allowed in you just had to sit you know at the table and behave yourself and that was that was got that, that's kind of what got me into wanting to play just the physicality of the guitars and the bass i they just um i really wanted to hold one and so you were straight you were straight onto guitars were you when when did you get your first guitar uh i um i had lessons from a mate's brother and i had a couple of lessons and he lent me a guitar to take home and my dad made me take it straight back because <laughs> he didn't want me to break it yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then Christmas 1982, me and Sice and my brother Callum um, got guitars for Christmas. 17 quid for a K, I can't remember what they were called, K guitar, I can't remember what the uh, model. I think the first night we just took photographs. We've both got them somewhere. There's like 300 photographs of me and him and Callum <laughs> just posing with our guitars that we didn't have any idea. <laughs> and, uh, uh... and then the night. Sai said, uh, oh, my brother says he knows how to tune them, bring them round. So we got round there and his brother got Sai's guitar and tuned him up until every string snapped. And then he took my guitar and did exactly the same thing. <laughs> <laughs> Cheers, mate. Thanks for that. How long was it till you went to your first proper gig, you know, a, a gig where you saw who, who it was and went, right, I'm going to buy a ticket for that, for that band? Well, well, there's a couple. There's, there's the first band that I saw was actually during a sh- like a sh- um, like a musical, like a show at the Little Playhouse, I think it was Yakety Yak, and it was the band Darts. You and me, I don't know Darts. Oh, they were like um, in late seventies. There was this fifties Schwaddy Waddy and um, mm. Darts were one of those guys. Uh, just fifties kind of band, and it was a fifties musical. So they played live on the stage. You know every now and again when, when things are happening. Uh, and that was great. And then I went to see the Everly Brothers with my dad, my brother. Oh, man. That was just out of this world. Um, that, that, that's a massive... I'm assuming that was a massive treat because my mum would go with my auntie to the Everly Brothers whenever they toured Britain. 
And it was, I remember it being a huge occasion. I mean, yeah. my mum was getting dressed up and off they'd go to St. David's Hall. It was a huge thing. And there was no way that any of us could go. Yeah, well, me and Callum, my dad had really got this. Um, and we, we were doing the whole uh, rockabilly thing anyway. We had the Criffs and we were, loved the 50s music. I was a massive Eddie Cochran fan. From Callum, who was Gene Vincent. And um, he went he went deep, though. He went rockabilly and then he ended up really liking things like the meteors and um rockabilly stuff yeah uh, the meteors. meteors yeah we we spoke with um we spoke with matt fraser actor musician mm-hmm. and he, he toured with them is that right Chris? Oh, he, oh no he ended up doing a john peel session the john peel session um with the meteors and he was like okay <laughs> <laughs> as their drummer, as their drummer, because they'd gotten rid. Oh, so your brother, right? Okay, and you went which way? Which way did you go then? Away from? Uh, the I went. Of... I went Duran uh, uh, way. <laughs> yes, Adamant. Well, so, so my dad knew that. Um, actually, no, that was before Adamant and stuff. It was before, and then it was a rockabilly thing, and then it was more Jesus and Mary Chain and the Smiths, and right, okay. Um, and we sat behind uh, Howard Kendall, really? the Everton manager at the time. And I, uh, I had a pack of chewits <laughs> that had bought me for the gig. And uh, every time I finished one, I stuck the back of it. I, I stuck it to the back of his jack, Howard Kendall's jacket. <laughs> I'm guessing you're a Liverpool fan then. Yeah. <laughs> it's what any self-respecting Liverpool fan would have done. Yes. But this was 1983, I think. This was their comeback tour, so they hadn't spoken to each other for years. Years, uh, wasn't it? Yeah. yeah. Incredible. But then the first one I paid money for, oh, this is so embarrassing, was the Thompson Twins. I went on my own. Wow. To live on. You went on your own. I'm surprised at how many people are, are admitting to us that they went to a gig on their own, you know, and, mm-hmm. and often their first gig as well. So the Thompson Twins... Yeah, is, that, Royal- is that is that embarrassing? I'm not sure that's embarrassing, is it? I I I really liked one of their records, one of the really early ones, and I chased that record right until they finished, and I kept buying them and buying them, and they, I didn't like any of them. But just, <laughs> I I don't know, I don't know what happened. But that gig that gig was filmed. It's on uh, YouTube. Amazingly, I haven't uh, no watched it. Yeah. What year would that have been? What, when are we Eight, talking? Oh, 83, 84. Okay. Royal Court. I love that venue. Yeah. yeah. I love that venue. It's, uh, it, Alex, it's a great have you ever been, um, Have you ever been to a gig on your own? Um, yeah. Yes, I have. I, I was thinking, ooh, I would have to think about which ones, but I've actually been to, yeah, I've been to a few on my own. A couple planned and then some sort of inadvertently. Yeah, I went, I've only been to one on my own, um, uh, like a a kind of gig gig. Um, And I'm I'm not sure I enjoyed it that much. I I mean, I I enjoyed the the music, but just the overall feeling of, you know, not having anyone to kind of chat about it to. I I went to see um, the the NME tour in 96, 97. So that was the Cardigans and the Blue Tones and somebody else was on it. Um, it was a good, good gig, but nobody wanted to go with me, so I was like, oh, 
Okay. <laughs> it, it is a funny thing, isn't it? Going to going to gig on your own, or is it? I wonder if there's more people. Let us know if you regularly or have ended up going to gigs on your own. Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't think twice about um, going to the cinema on my own. Yeah, yeah, I, no problem. I, I love that. I, I think I probably prefer that. Um, I've never yeah. done. You've not gone to the cinema on your own? No. I, I mean, I used to work in the cinema, so I, I was going in my lunch break and I just got used to the, just not having to have an opinion immediately. <laughs> with, yeah. With um, so, yeah, I quite enjoyed that. But, yeah, the gig, not so much. I think I, I prefer it as a kind of not so much a communal thing because you're obviously there with loads of people, but as, as something that you do with a and other. Um, so how long until your first gig it was was Boo Radley's the first band, or what was what was your first band? Well, it was me and Sice, and uh, we had quite a few drummers, and we could never remember their names, so we just called them. <laughs> uh, we called them by their first name, but then we called them all Best. So we had Rob Best <laughs> and Nick. <laughs> <laughs> um, and that first gig, oh Jesus, it was at um, a post school in uh, near Birkenhead, I think, called Saint Anselm's. And I don't know why we were asked to play or whether we were asked to play. <laughs> <laughs> but there's quite a few bands on that day. I was looking, I've got photographs of it somewhere I was looking at. And Sice played bass, but he could only play bass if he wasn't singing. So he would, he would sing and then play bass for a bit and then sing. <laughs> and um, it was actually, when it's the first song, um, it was curtains, you know, curtains actually drew and, and there we were. And by the time the curtains got across, I'd finished the first song. <laughs> <laughs> the drummer was still like putting his shoes on and uh, <laughs> put the curtain back across while we got ourselves together. <laughs> how old? How old would you have been? Um, eighteen. <laughs> what were you called then? Fourth man. Fourth man. Yeah, I just I was reading a book about um, the Cambridge spies, so and it was called the Fourth Man. That was as far as my imagination went. That, that's pretty good. I mean, as first band names go, I've heard some absolute rotters. That's not bad. When we were in school, Scythe always wanted to be called Cellulo Psycho. What was it? Cellulo Psycho Genesis. Cellulitis. What? Cellulo Psychic Regenesis. I think that was what it was. Wow. Low psychic we, yeah, we recorded a fake documentary about ourselves, which I wish I still had. It was so funny. Oh, yeah. Uh, it was hours long. That sounds more like a kind of prog rock band where you do 25 minute songs based on um, Greek myths or something. Were you, were you much of a gig goer? I know it's, it sounds like I'm jumping back and forth here, but I'm interested to know before you started playing regularly with the, Boo Radley's, if you were a regular gig goer, what who were you going to see? What genres were you sticking with? I kind of know the first few I went to see because I went to see um, Tears for Fears after that. Yes. Because I really liked, I liked Tears for Fears, but I really liked the support band who were called The Adventures, who never really made it. Um, I'd love to have a listen to them, actually, see what they're like. Um, and that was why I wanted to go. And then my, my mate Togger won tickets to see Frankie Goes to Hollywood. You had... He didn't win them. There was kind of, you had to apply for them. Really? Yeah. Yeah, they never went on general sale, the first gigs, uh, the first big gigs at the Royal Court. Wow. Yeah, you had to send in an application and got picked. So we went to see that. It was incredible. What, what was their setup live, Frankie? It was the band and then a few 
Musicians in the Shadows <laughs> behind right. um, Massive PA, which I believe was ACDC PA. Really? And they were phenomenally loud, yeah. Well, I was going to ask, was their live, um, were their live sets kind of representative of what they, um, what they released? Um, yes. Studio recording? Yeah. Wow. Yeah, it wasn't like the demos that they'd done. Mm. Uh, of and stuff, which I really liked. Uh, it was the proper big production. That must have been amazing in the Royal Court. It was like a celebration, yeah. It was it was fantastic. The best gig I ever thought was um, Super Furry Animals when they were doing uh, the 3D sound thing. Yes. And, um, the whole, I thought the place was going to fall down. It was just shaking. It was incredible. They were amazing, weren't they? That tour was. The sound on that. I wonder why no one's... Uh, never done it before or since sorry uh, the work involved i think i mean nearly drove kian crazy so really i mean I, I can't imagine trying to mix you know it's hard enough to do it in stereo yeah. it, it's crazy that was that was that yeah. is one of the best tours i've ever i've ever seen but then the super furries were always utterly utterly brilliant um I, well i saw the gig that they when we went down to see them with creation uh, at the Monarch in London. Oh, really? You were at that? Yeah, it was pausing powder. Yeah. Were you going to see them or were you going for yeah, a night out? My mate Mark, who was working at Creation, and he was going down there to, to sign them, I think. Oh, right. Okay. What did you think uh, on that first time seeing them? I thought they were great. And they were, it was very uh, Welsh language. Yeah. Yeah, they were. I can't remember any particular songs but it was a, that was a really striking really weird thing because when you saw foreign bands they all sang in english you know <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah it's true isn't it it's true i've heard people say that i i asked that i pushed that on the super age just because like they are one of my favorite bands ever of all time and it's so hard to describe them isn't it if if you were trying to describe them to someone who's never heard them don't know how you yeah. would, but but even even live, just such great gigs. I have great memories of Super Furries. Can I just mention a gig that happened um, New Brighton Bath? So New Brighton, that's that's the Wirral side, isn't it, of Liverpool? Is that right? Yeah, yeah. There used to be a, a huge um, open air pool there um, that was built in the forties, I think. I think they might have in for the London Olympics. They might have done the diving events there. Because it's right. huge, massive. Uh, have a look at pictures of New Brighton Simple. Huge um, diving boards. Yeah. Um, and when I started going, with my dad, they were still there, but much. They'd taken the huge ones down, but still really high up. And we used to go there. Um, we used to bunk off school and go down there, like eighty three, eighty four, just never away from the place. And they did a two-day or three-day um, gig there called New Brighton Rocks. That might be on YouTube as well. And it was um, Spandau Ballet and Madness and Frankie Goes to Hollywood and Eddie Grant. Wow, 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 Nick wow. The Weather Girls. Um, and I can't remember which one I went to see because I know I, know I couldn't get into the Frankie one. I didn't definitely didn't see them. But um, they mixed up the, because I'm in, me and Slice are in a few shots. I'm in the jumper that his mum knitted me. <laughs> and, um, <laughs> and I had to take it back to when she had to put a zip in the side because I couldn't get my head through it. <laughs> <laughs> it's that big, big barnet of yours. 
Yeah, they mixed up the, the crowd and the, the band, so I couldn't remember which night. You know, I, I, I'm on, I know I'm on in the middle of a, a shot that I know I wasn't there at that night. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, but that, that was great. That was really good. Ten minutes from the house. It was incredible. That's, that just sounds like a kind of greatest hits of the early 80s, that. It's knockout. Yeah, early mid-80s, yeah. It was an ITV thing, I think. Right. Can I just ask both of you, it's only just come to me after all these episodes, was the Radio 1 Roadshow live ever a thing for either of you um, as kids? Like, we, me and my sisters, we would inevitably try and get to one of them because we'd be on holiday, we'd be on holiday somewhere, or, you know, I went to them in Lyme Regis, in Porthcawl. In fact, I saw I saw the Mannix at Lyme Regis uh, alongside, who were they playing alongside? Apache Indian or something like that. And then in Lyme Regis, I remember this, the day, and it was, um, I think it was Steve Wright, and it was the day Madonna got married to Sean Penn. And wow. we were at the Radio 1 Roadshow. And I can't for the life of me remember who the acts were. But was that a... Because for for me and for, um, you know, working class family, and we didn't have lots of money. So there was, you know, we couldn't afford to go to concerts, not until I was working and as a, as a teenager. But for me and my sisters, that was a way of seeing people that were you know relevant to us that we were hearing on the radio you know let's get down barry islands as the radio would it was that a thing for either of you did either of you go to the radio one road show never no i don't remember ever coming around it must have done uh, where were you chris where were you, uh, when you were well that's the thing i mean i i grew up in the scottish borders in a town called kelso and um where the radio one road shows were they all at the seaside or whether some kind of um, it was a coastal thing, wasn't it? it was yeah, holidaying. So, so obviously, the nearest place to us would have been Berwick upon Tweed, but I, I don't remember um, Radio One Roadshow. But I do remember there was a a, a kids' TV show called Get Fresh um, in the eighties, um, which I was on. Actually, I was on it once uh, <laughs> as a pilot. I must have been about ten, and I, I, I won a night rider remote control car um, <laughs> but they did a road show and I was away on holiday at the time um, but they did a road show Get Fresh Live or something I can't remember and um, that was I think Wet 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 played their first what was their first song? It was like Wishing I Was Lucky or something um, but yeah Wet 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 played but I, I missed them but no bands really came to, <laughs> to came, came to Kelso and, unless they went to the Tate Hall and it was Daniel O'Donnell or um, Dominic Kerwin or uh, <laughs> Gallagher and Lyle. That was the, that was the kind of market that that came. No, nothing, Daniel nothing against them. Absolutely, they, they do what they do really well. Just not my bag. Um, Daniel O'Donnell, right? I used to work in Cardiff Arena uh, in the box office uh, from two thousand and four, I think it was. And even then. Daniel O'Donnell's fans, and we sort of had to make preparations at the arena, they would sleep out overnight. Really? At their age? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Some of them, we were worried about whether they'd make it to the morning. <laughs> <laughs> and they would. They'd sit outside Cardiff Arena, and they'd, they would bring everything uh, and the kitchen sink. They'd be wrapped in blankets and sleeping bags. And Daniel O'Donnell and... Um, 
Westlife were consistently in the years I was there the fastest selling live concerts <laughs> at the arena. You had to, you know, you had to fight. Whereas the Rolling Stones couldn't give the tickets away because they were about two hundred quid a pop. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That card. I, I think I took about ten people. So you know, Rolling Stones at the arena. No, it was when they played the uh, oh, right. Millennium Stadium. I don't know what. Was it the Millennium Stadium? Yeah, it would have been the Millennium Stadium called that then. But it's so expensive, you you know, just can go in. You, you've mentioned, I want to pick up this, is like I'm going back a bit, but I'm interested in this because you've mentioned a few things that you've kept. It sounds like that you're a bit of a keeper, Martin Carr. I'm not going to say that to your partner because she may have otherwise, but have you kept things over the years? Because Chris and I have both kept ticket stubs, Yep. laminates and we thought we might be a bit geeky or the odd ones out what have you what have you kept hold of i am a hoarder definitely but if you'd have asked me last week if i had any old stuff i'd have said no not much but i've spent the last few days digging through boxes and i've got loads of stuff um <laughs> uh i'd never paid to get into a gig i never got to bought a ticket for a gig after 1990 i don't think so i don't really have ticket stubs um, except for gigs that I really, really liked. Um, oh, hang on, he's reaching for something. And couldn't blag in to um, <laughs> and see uh, Kid Six Hundred Six in in two thousand two thousand one. Um, and I've never seen anyone just play with a laptop before. <laughs> uh, <and he> was, <laughs> it was in, absolutely incredible. It was one of the most intense nights. It was just after nine eleven, and. Um, we got to uh, Paddington, Mary and I, and um, we were walking along, walking through the, the courts. Um, some guy ran out of WH uh, Smith, waving a newspaper in the air, shouting, death to Americans, death to Americans, and everybody froze. I shit my pants. <laughs> I kind of set the tone for the evening. And um, he played in uh, Brick Lane and he was necking two bottles of Budvar at a time and just smashing buttons on it. And just this incredible noise was coming out. And I thought, I say, I never want to hear a guitar again. I just want to listen to this stuff. You've got, I love you on that ticket. It's funny you mentioned the laptop because you're, you're the one that got me into Sleaford Mods. If yes. We talking about laptops. I remember you saying. I, I made friends with him on Twitter before I realised that he was in a band. He uh, he started asking me questions about Paul Weller, um, <laughs> getting on quite well. And then I thought, and then I realised he was in a band. And I thought I, I should have to watch one of his uh, videos. And I watched Tied Up in Knots, and I was thinking, oh my god, this is shit. It's just a, <laughs> a guy. <laughs> but by the end of it, I was I played it again. Well, it was absolutely amazing, and. Um, First time they played Cardiff, they played at the Half Moon. Oh, yeah. And I, I walked down there on my own. And um, it was one of the best gigs I've ever been to. And it was amazing because normally you walk into a gig in Cardiff and you know everyone. And um, <laughs> everyone knows you. Yeah. I knew nobody. And it was all guys whose last gig was probably the last jam gig <laughs> in 1982. <laughs> <laughs> and uh it was fantastic. And it was just a guy shouting and a guy swigging <laughs> beer. <laughs> After he plays, presses play and on his laptop. Yeah. 
but it works. I go and see them every time they play Cardiff. I love them. It, do you know, it, it, I've still yet to see them live. Mm-hmm. But it took me a while, and I remember you saying, "No, you've got to, you've got to give it a go," and I, uh, and and it just clicked. It just clicked, and in fact, they were on Jules Holland last week, and it was brilliant. And it's so simple, and I love that. Um, not that they need to reason anything, but they're unashamed about what they are. Yeah, I write the music, and I do it on my laptop, and I press play. I don't need to do anything else, but I'm there, so I can practically just press play for the next song. And, you know, while, while he then sings his poetry and I do think he's, he's, he's great. I love his lyrics Mm -hmm. and I love, I love the passion. ask you so many questions let's chris let's take martin through the quick fire round i reckon because there's a few questions i want to ask that um that are in there so i'm i'm gonna start so in theory this is quick fire yet we have uh, been able to make it through in any kind of quick fire way but we'll give it a go who is your favorite voice or vocalist live uh catherine williams That is brilliant, Catherine, friend of the Gig Stories podcast. And uh, if you haven't heard that episode, then check it out. She is wonderful. I I love, yeah, I love her life. Fantastic. My introduction to Bruce Springsteen, unfortunately, was that mid-80s, kind of born in the USA stuff, which I hated and um, never really forgiven him for. And then I I heard her do um, Dancing Dancing in the Dark. I thought, oh my God, what an incredible song. You know, stripped from that because you listen to Bruce's and you're just getting hit by a snare drum every. It sounds like a, you know, hitting a gong with the sun. <laughs> and, uh, she, I, and I was like, oh, it's just wonderful, what a wonderful song. So she can do that. She can, you know, find the um, find the beauty and everything. I, th- I think I actually said it on that episode that that that's possibly my favorite cover of all time. I I love it. I love it when she does that. It's so. Mm. Yeah, I just love that voice. And she happens to be a scouser, eh, Martin? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, what's your the favorite your favorite gig that you've been to, um, and also your, the favorite gig that you played with with the Boo Radleys? Um, there was a gig I had just kind of lost in the midst of time now, but there was a a, a um, first time I saw Mercury Rev. Yes. Uh, in, in my, I can't, oh, actually, I'll tell you where it was. It was in uh, Leeds. We drove up from Liverpool, um, me and my mates, and we were listening to the demos for our first or second album on the way up. And it was just crazy. And um, it was unlike anything I'd seen before, I think. Absolute chaos. Uh, the guy, Dave um, Baker, big guy who only lasted one album, I think. Um, we made friends with him and we went to see him in Manchester the next night and he just walked out in the middle of a gig to say hello to us and stood there chatting. That's nice. That was great. <laughs> yeah, um, I, I, I wouldn't have seen that come in. Mercury Rev. They, yeah, what an interesting band they are. didn't like any of the records after that, after the first one. Oh, you didn't like the, you know, everyone, everyone no. quotes Deserter Song. No. Is it? 
deserters or deserters? It is deserter songs, isn't it? So you never, you never took to that, did you? No, I think it was Dave that I liked. Guy, I like that. Yeah, you liked a person in the band, and that attracted yeah. you to them. I think on the way home, he tried to spoon the guitarist's eye out <laughs> on the plane. <laughs> and that was oh, that. Dave. <laughs> Dave's never been seen with a spoon again. So, no. what about as as Chris said? Then, what about your favourite? Although you said Boo Radley's, it may not be. Maybe your favourite gig as a performer was a solo. What What was your favourite gig as a performer? No matter what, guys. Oh, um, I remember um, a gig that we did in Derby, a place called Derby Bell, and it would have been '92 or something. And what song was it? We we were doing a song, and we and the and the audience sang the whole verse of the song on their own, and it's the only time it ever happened. I can't remember what song it was. That was magic. Um, is it good that I I have always wondered? Is it annoying for you when the crowd is is singing the song at you? Or I think the only time it ever happened, and it was, and I don't know, you know, we stopped playing and they just did it, and it was such a um, an organic thing. Um, yeah, and we probably just stood there grinning stupidly at each other. Well, yeah, that's that's the reaction I would expect. That's that's the reaction I would give definitely. Yeah. Something that you've written being sung back to you because people have listened to it enough times. That's that's quite special, that, isn't it? Yeah. Let's go to the opposite end now. Worst. Worst gigs, please. Worst gigs you've seen and perhaps worst gig you were part of. Uh, the worst gig I ever saw... Um, oh, that's, yeah, that's a tough one. I don't know. Because uh, I, I would not normally just... I would just normally leave. Oh, are, are you are you a leaver? If the gig's that bad, you leave? Oh, yeah. I, I just I didn't I didn't really go and see bands after a certain point. I just went to get drunk at the bar. I was at the uh, Water Rats gig at the Oasis, and the only time I saw them was when I went the loo halfway through and passed the stage. I just stayed. <laughs> <at the bar. laughs> and, and what what about if you're comfortable with sharing? What about as a performer? What was the worst gig? Oh, when I was going through the phase of being too drunk to sound check. Um, <laughs> played a gig in she- Leeds or Sheffield. I remember David Gedge was there. He was quite good friends with size. Oh, the wedding present. Yeah. yeah. And um, I I barely got on stage and the, none of the band were talking to me afterwards. I had to go separately. <laughs> uh, I had to go on the crew bus. <laughs> <laughs> is, that, is that when you know that you've, you've yeah, you've, you've fucked up? <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> uh, I was too drunk to play, and it's, it's uh, I, you know, I'm not proud of it. Um, we had loads of bad gigs, so loads of uh, either we were bad or everything broke down. I was, we did, um, reminds me actually, when we did a road, a, um, a road show, you had to do the road shows. You were told, you know, you have to play the game, do the road shows, and then you'll get playlisted eventually. And we did, we met Catatoni there, uh, it's the first time I met them. And we were promoting Come On Kids, I think. And they said, okay, well, you do those songs that you're going to do, and then you're going to do Wake Up Boo. And we said, no, we're not going to do Wake Up Boo because that was the last album. And it was one of those to in and fro in for hours. And we just don't want to do it. We don't want to do it. Uh, And in the end, we agreed to do it. And we got halfway through and it started skipping. (laughs) (laughs) What is the, uh, the loudest gig? you can remember being at 
Um, well, the Frankie O'Toole Hollywood, Hollywood one was incredibly loud. Um, you were saying the PA was massive. Yeah, yeah. Um, ACDC's. If it's ACDC's PA, it's going to be loud, isn't it? And then uh, Dinosaur Junior at the old Planet X in Liverpool. Oh, where was where was Planet X? I, I know Liverpool venues well. Where was Planet X? Planet X was three or four different places. Um, How was it? First time I went, it was on Temple Street, which doesn't even exist anymore, the street. And it was um, like an old warehouse, and you went downstairs to the club. Right, okay. And the drummer had, uh, the drums had umbrellas all over it, which looked ace. And they were there because above were the toilets and the piss just leaked <laughs> through the floor. Wow. And, no. Yeah. And it was like a, <laughs> it was a, an old goth club Um I saw some great gigs there. I saw a, a death metal all day there once. Um, and then I saw Junior played, yeah, and it was incredible. So loud. It was just after a freak scene, I think. Sorry, who was the support act? AP Temple and a band called Kilgore Trout, I think. They might have been the same guys in two different bands. <laughs> <laughs> now, I, I, I'm just reminded now you're... Uh, um, my bloody Valentine fan. Mm-hmm. The first time I saw them was in um, St. Helens um, at the Citadel. And it was um, it was just after you made me realise, I think. And there were very few of us there. And I think I've met everyone who was there since. <laughs> over the yeah, years. of course you have. Uh, and we missed the last bus home because they did the last song they did was called Claire it was like their big closer at the time just played it for hours and hours and that one chord <laughs> well we all you know, did the indie lurch around for a bit um oh, it's fantastic and I went up afterwards and said hello to Kevin and he gave me a set list which I've still got you're pointing to it have you actually got yes yeah it's, it's in two halves well no it's not it's in two bits You've actually got the My Bloody Valentine set list. What year would yeah. that have been, Martin? Um, 88, is it? And were they... See, I, I, I asked you about that because um, they... So many people just say, oh, my God, I, I can't even go to a My Bloody Valentine gig. Or if they do, they're wearing 50,000 sets of earplugs because they've always been so loud. Were they like that from the beginning? Yeah, yeah. Not, a, you know, I doubt that gig was as loud as they were, you know, when they got a bit bigger. Yeah. Because we played, we supported them on the, on the Loveless tour. I think we did about six dates. Oh, did you? Uh, yeah. One of the questions I wanted to ask was about, you know, as, as a support band or as a, um, whether you were the support or someone else's support, who, who did you get on the most with uh, uh, as a band wise? Who did you really get on and think, yeah. Swerve Driver. Um, yes. I I, I'm still friends with bands, with people I met in bands, and I can't even remember the bands that they were in. Uh, <laughs> that's, a, that's a good sign, though. That's a good sign, though. Did it, would it ever get, especially when you the Boo Radley's there, would, would it ever get messy backstage? Are all these, you know, legends, myths, is it all true? Or would you always, you know, keep yourselves to yourselves as a band? Um, no, it was, it was, um, oh, it's chaos after the gig beforehand, everyone was in a mood and uh, a bit nervous. Uh, but then afterwards, yeah, 
just it's like a um a release on stage and then you come up because you go on stage thinking as soon as this is over i'm going to bed i'm absolutely knackered and you get off <laughs> and then you can go to bed for a few days and so you ever paired with um with bands where you couldn't quite work out why uh we spotted a gun club in belgium once that was a weird one really yeah we did a smash hits gig with uh, Peter Andre once. So that was ace. <laughs> That's pretty, pretty in Congress. That's in, like twelve million ten-year-olds screaming when we came up. We're still screaming. It was fantastic. And Sykes was <laughs> shouting cool Keith lyrics in between, in between the songs. And they go ah, and Sykes would say, "Can science achieve a unified theory of complex systems?" And they go ah. <laughs> so this was around his uh, mysterious girl phase, I'm guessing. Can I just say, Martin, you and I share something in common. We've we've both gigged with Peter Andre. Oh yeah. What did you yeah. do? Yeah, I um, I, <laughs> I turned, <laughs> I turned on Telford Christmas lights with Peter Andre. <laughs> with Peter Andre and um, he they asked him to sing and uh, he turned to me and went oh, I, I don't think I can what if we sing a, a Christmas song together I just was like what what are, are you kidding me we're, we're on stage here and so I sang on on stage with Peter Andre and I believe it was uh, have yourself a merry little Christmas something like that Wow. So I feel I feel pretty rock and roll, to be honest, mine. I think you and I were pretty much the same. You know, we've yeah. been through it all together. Peter Andre. Mr. Tumble. <laughs> Mr. Tumble. One of the weirdest gigs, one of the weirdest experiences we had was when we supported Sugar in um, in America. It was the first time we played over there. We did six weeks. It was just so long. It was, it was really good. And we were in snow and blazing heat, but they never let us sound check the whole time. They would sound check and then they would play Who covers until Doors. And we never found out why. And we were always wondered if it was like an initiation thing or... And how, how long was that? Did you say six six weeks? Six weeks, yeah. To, to maintain that, that is a... Yeah. <laughs> on a cruelty, isn't it? And they were lovely. They were lovely to us. Um, Hang on, if that that meant that you had some kind of relationship with them, but not to the point where you could say, "Hey, Bob, can we sound check?" We asked. Um, we used to ask the uh, their road manager all the time, and he was wave his arms around. <laughs> I like. I like to think that Moldy Bob, in interviews somewhere, says. The Buradis, oh yes, they were a strange bunch of lads. They never ever wanted to sound check, so we just used to play who covers. <laughs> Lazy bastards. We played in um, Las Vegas with them the night before we went to see the Breeders. And um, wow, Breeders finished. The, the drummer was in a mood because of his monitors or something, I don't know what. And at the end, he kicked his drums over and walked off stage. And it's like, ooh, and then he walked back on stage and carefully put all of his drums back up again. <laughs> and 
and carried on playing. And someone had pulled a gun on him backstage and told him to get back out there really? and play on. Oh my god! No way! That's proper rock and roll, isn't it? That's really similar to when I said no to Peter Andre and walked off stage. <laughs> Katie Price was there with a, a Glock. Get back on, Winters. <laughs> it's funny you should mention that, Martin, because I because I've mentioned it on the podcast before, and if everyone has listened to, or, or if anyone has listened to all of them, I I've said that my worst gig was Sugar um, at Cardiff Uni. I went. To- oh. Did, did you? We were at Rockfield, yeah, and we came down for it. And I had uh, half a pill and had a whitey and spent most of it lying on the lying on the ground. <laughs> I photographed that as well. <laughs> that is brilliant. So there's absolutely no point in me asking you about that gig whatsoever, is there? You can't remember it, can you? <laughs> it was the worst gig ever. The sound was horrendous. So the fact that you've just told me that, and like me and, you know... My best friend, uh, Ray, we went. We'd been waiting for so long to see them, for so long to uh, uh, for them to tour. And so it, it was awful. So the irony to them playing for hours and hours, sound checking and then playing Who songs, it, that, that sort of makes it worse. Wow. Awful, awful. Do you have, um, do you have favourite venues? Martin, did you? I mean, yeah. that could be now, um, but especially back uh, when you were touring Union, lots. Union Chapel, I like in London. Oh, Union Chapel, yeah, yeah, I have. It's a great sound of play. I played there with uh, Jimmy Webb. Oh, really? How did that come about? I did a tour with him um, because I I knew his sons. I, I remember DJing their first gig in London, and they use Cardiff as their base music box. It's where they um, kind of their British base. This is the Webb Brothers, yeah. Yeah, yeah. and um, and when he was coming over, I think they they asked if I could do the gigs, the gigs with him. Wow. Uh, unfortunately, they were uh, he booked in huge, huge venues and didn't and wasn't selling that many tickets. Really? Yeah, a lot of the gigs were um, uh, really poorly attended. I mean, it, it was just the wrong venue, you know. Yeah, they would have been the right for Glenn Campbell, but maybe not for Jimmy Webb. This is the thing. Glenn Campbell was, his son was actually um, drumming for, for Jimmy Webb, Carl Campbell. Um, but that's it. But that's it. He would come and sell out all those venues, singing Jimmy's songs. Mm. So strange that, isn't it? The first time I saw Jimmy Webb was um, uh, in a pizza place in Hyde Park. Pizza on the Park, is it called? And they had like a jazz supper club thing downstairs. And I saw him there in the mid nineties. I think he was hammered, absolutely hammered, but brilliant. Are there any other venues that come to mind? Union Chapel, you mentioned. And what, and what do you look for in a good venue? When you're, when you're amongst it mid gig and it's, you know, you're having a good gig, does it even matter? Or are you still able to tell, yeah, this is great sound. This is, you can feel more of an atmosphere from the crowd at this particular venue or? Yes. Um, I find it hard now to remember about what it was like with the band. Uh, and because I was usually quite drunk and um, all I could hear was myself <laughs> half the time. And now I like, uh, it's, it's just the surroundings I like, especially if I'm playing on my own. And that's why I love the Union Chapel. It kind of, 
feeds back into you. Right, okay. Uh, really special, special place. That's about the acoustics. They're great, and uh, the visuals are great. Crowd is always good. Oh, I'd love you to... Um, the Albert Hall in Manchester has become my favourite venue. Yeah. And it is just fantastic. The sound in it is just incredible. I played the Deaf Institute last time. I really enjoyed that. Oh, yeah, that's right. It, it, that's a that's another favourite venue of mine as well. That's a funny old place because a really tall stage, which when someone Very like tall. you walks... Yeah. yeah, which when someone like you walks out on... It's like, I, well, I, I had that same vibe that I had from standing on a skateboard and I just kind of froze and... <laughs> really high up <laughs> Albert Hall's like that as well though Albert Hall's really really high stage um, yeah I mean especially as as a photographer so I've, I've photographed a few I did um, The Good, The Bad and The Queen Damon Albarn yeah. oh yeah and um, uh, Everything Everything sure all them but um, yeah I mean you're really looking up and you can get what's good about that is you're shooting up but then you get the beautiful uh, roof um, behind because normally you're just, you know, you're just getting black curtains or something. Um, but but in there, you've just got this ornate ceiling and a balcony. It's a Methodist, old Methodist church, isn't it? Yeah. It's gorgeous. Really, really beautiful. I played the Albert Hall, Albert Hall, the London one, a couple of times. With the Boo Radleys. Yeah, we did the creation 10-year 10 10-year 10 party, 10-year anniversary party, I think. And I bought Arthur. I asked Arthur Lee if he wanted a drink, and he asked for ten vodka and oranges, which I bought. <laughs> uh, Do you want to drink, Arthur? Yes, please. Ten vodka and oranges. I found him talking to my mum. My mum was terrified. She had no idea who he was. <laughs> that is epic. I love your mum. So we, uh, I'm, I'm conscious of time here. We've had you for quite a while. There's a um, still a couple of questions I'd love to ask. Because you've always given um, really great music recommendations, and I know that you've got a really uh, eclectic taste as well. Um, but purely from a live point of view, who should Chris and I go and see when you know gigs are back on? And who from the past couple of years have you really gotten into uh, live? Wow. Oh, I'm totally up for this. We've just had a, a little visitor join us. Sailor! <laughs> now, hands up if you've had a song named after you. Not me. What? This is mine's daughter. Can, it, can I ask you, Sailor? Yeah? Do you like, do you like your dad's music, lovely? Yes. You made a song about me. <sighs> I know. Is it your favourite song? Yeah. <laughs> it's one of my favourite songs. The um, what gig did we go and see? Who have you been seeing? Kate Perry. Wow. Where was where was that? Uh, where was it? Do you remember? No. Birmingham. No. Did you have a great time? Mhm. Mm yeah. I'll be honest. She's brilliant, isn't she? And I think I've already mentioned as well before on this that. We all went to watch her at Glastonbury and because the girls wanted to see her. And I was like, oh man, she's great. And you didn't think she was good, you were going to enjoy it, but went, oh. Actually. No, I didn't. I, I thought, mm, it's Katy Perry, isn't it? That's why she's successful. It was amazing. She was like flying up through the air and mm -hmm. 
swinging off massive balloons. It's great. And and from what I could tell, I never know um, with that kind of artist how often they're singing live and not. But um, she had a great live voice. You got a great voice, yeah. Yeah, no, that's really good. Have you have you been doing that much as dad? Have you been to many sort of pop concerts and things? That was the only one we were going to go and see. Um, what was the one we were going to go and see? And we didn't see. We really wanted to see Billie Eilish. Her um, stuff was kind of. Oh, that's right. Did you manage to get tickets? We got an an in. Did you? Okay. They they had um, a private yes. Catherine Williams gig. A private Catherine Williams gig. We were, we couldn't we couldn't go and see her, so we went to see her sound check in Bristol, and the kids told her their favourite songs of hers, and they and she sang them for them. Mm-hmm. Underground. Yeah. That sums up Catherine. That does. She's yeah. an absolute. She's an absolute beaut. So Sailor, let me ask you a question. If I could go and see anyone live, who do you think I should go and see in concert? Mother, mother. Who's that? Mother, um, it's a a really famous um artist who does um like kind of um I don't know how to explain it. It's like hippie music. It's like hippie music. Oh, I'm there. I love hippie music. And they call for mother. No one, two boys, two girls. Two boys, two girls. Mother, mother. The weird haircuts. Dilla, you're our youngest guest so far. That's fantastic. Thank you. I like it. I like that recommendation. Do you know what? You can you can stay with us, Sailor. We're going to ask okay. your dad one more question. Yeah. Yeah, because I can't we, answer that one. <laughs> we, no. To be honest, I don't even care what your answer is now. We've got someone who's young and hip who's given us mother mother. So I am genuinely going to go and check them out. We, uh, both Chris and I, we love listening to live albums as well and live tracks and so we ask we ask everyone for a recommendation is that something that you've done over the years as, as live albums sort of been i am a fan of live versions of stuff um, yeah i can't bear it when glastonbury's on and we have to listen to it i don't i just don't think it translates well <laughs> But um, there are a few. I love um, Tim Buckley's live album. Yes. Uh, I really love uh, um, Bill Withers, his live album, uh, which is, is in London. I can't remember. I can't remember where he is. Yeah, I, I, think, I think his is, isn't it? And what a voice as well. What a, what a live voice Bill Withers, just incredible. He just seems like such a lovely man. Yeah. Uh, I think it's a shame that it took him dying for people to reappraise him and go you know it was more than his massive hit Mm -hmm. yeah yeah there was so much more to his to his writing and his um his voice than a lovely day yeah um, i I remember seeing a documentary that he made or was made about him um five or six years ago i think and it's just his attitude was incredible and at one point he says, um, at some point you're just going to, you have to realise that you're as good as you're going to get and be happy with that. And I, and I thought that was illuminating and depressing at the same time. <laughs> yeah, it depends what mood you're in taking that one. Eh? <laughs> so if you just choose one for us to 
uh, to link at the end of the podcast and put on a website. Oh, my, favorite, my favorite live thing ever is um, the B side of Stray Cat Strut. And it's um, a song called Drink That Bottle Down. And I think it was recorded in Newcastle in like 1981. Hang on, Taylor. And it's, a, and it's the double bass player who sings it. Double bass player, Lee Rocker. Um, oh, he just and he just shouts it, and um, it's a it's a slow blues, and it's got two of the most the best guitar solos. I did not expect that answer. You can smell the the, the smoke and the booze, and uh, I love it. My cat. You are absolutely right. That is exactly how we should finish this podcast: is with your cat, because quite frankly, everyone's had enough of Martin Carr, haven't they? They just yeah. want Martin Carr's cat. What's the what's the name of the what's the name of the cat? Chickpea. Chickpea. Oh, chickpea. Yeah. Chickpea. Oh, that, that makes me feel awkward. I'm not going to lie to you, Sailor, because just two hours ago, I had a chickpea curry. So, on that <laughs> I'm off to have some hummus. <laughs> Martin Carr, Sailor Carr, yeah. thank you so much. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you, both of you. There we go. Beautiful Martin Carr. That was worth waiting for, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. He he is I love Martin. He's he's one of the greatest people I know. And I, I've known him for uh, quite a while. He after the Boo Radleys, uh, he relocated uh to Cardiff, as we we mentioned. And um and that's how I, that's how I got to know him. And when he was releasing his solo stuff as Brave Captain and that, as and so um, he's he's a lovely, lovely man, and he is super talented, super mm. talented. It's ridiculous, and it has been. And we know that he's not he's not been on the the Boo Radleys uh, reunion, but he has been out, and he was supporting the Charlatans, and I'm sort of again selfishly. I'm pleased that they have they've had to reschedule some of those charlatan states which he is supporting on because when he would they were in leeds and that's when uh you and i were hoping to go and see him well i think it was uh in in wales in wrexham but that was cancelled and then over in leeds they had to reschedule but i couldn't go i couldn't make it because uh, of work so they've rescheduled those dates so hopefully we'll be able to go and see martin but also off the back of that he's going to be playing some festival dates as well this mm. summer. So I'm just honestly overjoyed because he just, his solo stuff, if you know nothing of it, honestly, you are in for a treat. He's He's got a great musical mind and he's just fantastic. And, you know, he gets some good airplay as well on Six Music. So go and go and listen to his, go and listen to his stuff. And he is not one for interviews like that normally, Martin. Um, so I really appreciate him taking time uh, and an effort to do it um, yeah. which I don't know if you know and this is I'm just uh, this is off the top of my head here I, I saw that Tim Burgess tweeted something similar this morning I think um, we the royal we we assume that if someone is the lead singer of a band or an artist like that that 
they obviously love doing interviews and they love talking oh, yeah. about themselves and their music and they just that's just not the case and we shouldn't really expect that no um, absolutely i think this was off the back of an interview that one of the, the musicians performing at six music did an interview with six music and it was obvious that they were uncomfortable during the interview yes. and yes um and fair enough but you know i think there was a little bit of a twitter pile on well you know that's never happened before um yeah. but um but no absolutely the, their job is pretty much to make music and to perform the music and and promotion for a lot of people especially for a lot of the reasons why musicians do what they do it's a very personal thing and that the the music is the be all and end all um, so to criticize people for not giving you, you know uh, uh, an interview which is you know all um, sunshine and light um, yeah you know uh, you know just wind it in basically I think that's what Tim was saying and you know fair enough exactly exactly and they don't find it easy why do we try and just put everything I mean as you all well know I can talk for Britain but I, I certainly can't write and perform a song. <laughs> so, you know, we, we have different things. So, um, so yeah, I really appreciate uh, Martin taking time for us there. Um, and Giant Steps is just one of my favourites. Oh, oh. One of my favourite albums. Just. Has it got an anniversary coming up? Is yes. 30 years yes. next year? <sighs> yeah, it will yeah, be 1993. Yeah, yeah, so 2023. Well, if you haven't heard Giant Steps, if your knowledge of the Blue oh. Adlers, um starts with Wake Up Boo, just go one album back, just go to Giant Steps, and it will blow your mind. It's If you can mm. get the best speaker system or, or listen to it in headphones, yes, it's, it's a sonic journey, um, that album, and it's just tender and explosive and massive and tiny all at the same time. It's just an absolute gem. Um, so, and we don't know what's going to happen. Are, are Boo Radley's going to do anything with the anniversary? Would it be the full lineup? We don't know, but I, I know that they're they're on they're on decent terms anyway. So, um, I, I would love I, I would love to think that that would happen. And this no, is just I, us talking as 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 fans now. No, and absolutely. I would, Absolutely. I would love to see that original lineup play oh. Giant Steps in full. If they played it in full as well. Oh, oh my man. gosh. That would be, yeah, that would be incredible. Yeah. Well, thank you as always for listening. And, um, you know, please tell us how wonderful you think we are and how how much I just talk and I should probably let Chris talk more. Please let us know. We don't care. No, we just absolutely. crave interaction. That's all we want. <laughs> <laughs> well, not, not so much interaction, actually, but if if you if you've listened to this episode and um, if you could just go to Apple, um, you know, the Apple podcast um, doodah, the app and just click oh, a the little, Apple podcast doodah. Click, yeah. But just click a little the five stars. Click on the five stars. Leave a little yeah. review. And on the Apple doodah. On the Apple doodah. But yeah. it's, it's, again, I've mentioned this before, it's not to make us feel good about ourselves. It means no. that it makes our podcast more visible when people are searching for things to listen to, and it means that more people can find the podcast. So click click on the, the five stars. Four stars is all right, but really five star. Anything less than four stars, you can just leave. Leave the out, doodah. Go. Um, Get leave, away, step away from the doodah. 
yeah absolutely um but anyway and we will be back with a new episode not one that's a year old and that we've had to um <laughs> kind of dig you know blow the dust off we will come back with the next episode very very shortly see you soon thank you bye